Greetings, and welcome to Flanagan's Net Positive Podcast. For this episode of the Net Positive, I'm joined by Selen Afawerki. She's from Africa. She's highly educated. She's a sustainability professional, a dynamic sustainability professional. Just delighted to have her on the podcast today. Salem, greetings. Welcome to Flanagan's Net Positive Podcast. Thank you for having me, Ted. Oh, it's so, so good to see you. It's been a while. You've been doing okay, I can tell, by the look of your face. Yes. Despite everything, right? We're all going through difficult moments because of COVID, but I think it's uh, it's good to be on the other side. Hopefully things are getting better. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's go Let's go all the way back in your, in your life. Uh, Born and raised in Eritrea, I, I have to admit, I had to look it up uh, as to where that is. But tell, tell me about your upbringing there. Sure. So I was born in Ethiopia, technically. So Eritrea and Ethiopia are countries next to each other. Uh, my dad was a medical doctor, so got transferred to... My parents are both from Eritrea, but moved to Ethiopia. So that's where we were born, me and my younger sister. Um, Ethiopia is probably where I lived the longest compared to Eritrea, but then the whole family moved from Ethiopia to Eritrea. But that's where I did my um, high school, finished in Eritrea, and then including um, university, where I did uh, journalism, mentoring, and political science. Um, so from originally from Horn of Africa, and both my parents are from that part of the world. So now I, I, I can't wait to hear your story about how you came to be here today. But um, that Eritrea, I mean, that's a pretty tough country, right? It is. And it's been, there has been multiple wars. It's, it goes way back. Ethiopia and Eritrea technically are the same people, almost saying like US and Canada, there isn't yeah. much difference, except um, then what used to be northern part of Ethiopia, now current time Eritrea, was the first Italian colony that created Eritrean, sorry, like identity almost created. And they've been an independent country. Then uh, Ethiopia took over because the, the Italians lost the second world war. And then that that's like, it's, it's just the same people. It's just history that separated it. But then all Ethiopia always have been powerful and big country. Eritrea has been small and they always wanted to fight to get their independence. That led to endless 30 years of war for independence. And then a few years after independence it started back again, the war with Ethiopia over border conflict. So it's a um, very difficult position and place to be too, right? Because of the reality there is just political land related fights that doesn't even would, make sense. How did that affect you or, or, as a child then? That's a very good question. I don't think I thought of it that way before, but yes, it does impact you because, that, but then that's the reality, you know, that's where you were born and raised. You knew that there was a better world out there and that's why we mm -hmm. all, the ones who have the means found a way to leave, but, um, but it teaches you resilience. It teaches you the importance of education or anything that will get you out of that reality because education is the only means, at, at least at that part of the world, uh, to have a better life. So I think I, my parents focused in that and made sure that we got the best education that was even available locally. Um, Locally, and then I, I must say, congratulations. I mean, I, your resume is, is ridiculous. I, 
I've never seen so many academic credentials. And I think maybe you've, you've kind of explained fundamentally this drive that you have, but it sounds like um, graduated in Eritrea University. Of, is it Asmara? Is that how you pronounce it? And then, and then it seems like you went off to, to Spain and then into Chile and then in the United States with, at MIT and Harvard and Berkeley and University of Southern California. And wow, uh, you really, again, congratulations. You, that's incredible. You must be uh, very, very motivated, very, very disciplined as well. Thank you. But I think it's more driven by a need combined with the first is the need because you want to have a better life where you are is not giving you. So the need to have a better life, but at the same time, the need to learn also and then be better version of yourself as well as you go. So I think initially it was in search of a better life for that. I need to get better education and I need to leave my part of the world. Uh, but then it opened uh, more doors down the line. Maybe it might be easier if I tell you as a little bit of story how I ended up in Chile and then made it to US. Would that make it easier? Yeah, that'd be great. Please. So when Ethiopia and Eritrea were having a border conflict, this um, I was right then by that time finishing my undergrad in communication and political science. So I started working for the United Nations in peacekeeping. So that was my first job. Now, that was very life-changing experience. One, I saw how people from different parts of the world, from different walks of life, came together to address very complex problems. This is border conflict that people locally can't even solve. So that's when the UN sent peacekeeping mission to do this. So that was one thing I learned, and I think I try to take it with me as much as I can, that need to bring different people together. And so the problem, and then the second one is also, I learned that there's a bigger world out there that I needed to be part of. Um, so that was when an opportunity to move to Chile came about. One of the people that worked for the peacekeeping mission, they were Chilean. And then they said, why don't you go? There was less visa requirements at that time. I'm from the part of the world at that time. It's very difficult to get visa to English speaking country at that time. So Chile was relatively easier to get the visa and they were able to help me. So I moved there, did not speak a word of Spanish. So I was la profesora de inglés. I had to teach English. That was the only job I could do at that time with kids and things like that. And I knew that everything that I knew back home is not gonna, journalism is not gonna work. Political science is not gonna work because it's completely a different world in South America versus East Africa, Horn of Africa reality. So I needed um, to study something else. That's when I came across environmental sciences um, because it would be a good complement to my social sciences background if I were to add natural sciences, good understanding of environmental management and renewable energy sources. So that's what I studied. It was in Spanish too, with the, that's when Spain comes in. It's with the US, a Spanish university. It was um, not easy to study, do a program in a language. I got better as, as time goes, but, um, but it was really good and was able to finish and allowed me to improve my Spanish too. Then that's when I started uh, joining the bigger companies, start working in sustainability. The first one being with KPMG. KPMG is known for their advisory service, sorry, assurance services, but they also have the advisory arm. Um, that's when we started auditing annual sustainable reports. Um, that's where I learned the business case for sustainability. Why do big multinational companies care about sustainability and why they were doing it? Is it cost saving? 
Is it because it helps them with revenue? Or are they going to make money out of this? Let's say they started a organic or premium brand or something like that, for example, that would help them generate revenue. Is that, that the reason? Or is it risk mitigation because it affects them, their business continuity, climate change is a risk. Is it from risk aspect that they were looking into it? Or it was just purely branding. They want to be a differentiator. You want to be a leader in this space. So it was really good. Uh, but then I realized that instead of um, working, the assurance world is good, uh, but I liked more with working with clients closer to them as an advisor versus as an auditor. We were KPMG's an auditing firm. And that was out of, out of Chile, out of Santiago or? Exactly, Santiago Beach. And, and, and just to interrupt your story, just to interrupt your story, are your parents still back in Africa at this time? Yes. And, and your sister? My sister at that time, no, but now they live in Norway. Okay. So, but yes. you're still, you're off there on your own. Uh, yes. Having a big adventure. Okay. Continue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so the, at that time, it was uh, the bigger engineering firms that would get the advisory work versus the auditing firm. So a company called SKM that was later acquired by Jacobs. Um, I started working with them and that's with Jacobs. I got transferred from Santiago office to airline office in 2014. That's how I came to the U.S. That was a great, a, a great, great story. Now you founded your own company, Value Sustainability. Yes. And what was, uh, what it, it, I, it's still in operation, I, I presume. What, what is its mission and what's your, what's your goal with that company? What has you, what's it been focused on? Okay, so um, when I moved to the U.S., I was with Jacobs at that time. And then Jacobs here, they said they, they do amazing projects here, infrastructure projects. That's how I learned how the big bid process and projects are put together and want. But I still wanted to do sustainability. And it was very difficult to do it with organizing, with bigger organizations here in Southern California at that time, at least. So that's when the idea came, what if I started one, it would be a DBESPE because with Jacobs, I realized that the big clients would always have a small business or disadvantaged business requirements that I could help need. And then I would have my own niche within sustainability. Um, so it was really good. I think it was a, we were able to do multiple projects. The goal is obviously to help like sustainability, not as a nice to have, but as part of doing business or as part of operation. How do we make it is um, a must have versus a nice to have? And how can we help our clients do that? Because most of them have uh, the what and by when goal, meaning they want to be net zero by 2030, by 2045. That part, they have it figured out. The how is the difficult piece. And then um, figuring out based on our best practice, best practices, experiences from different industries that I've worked in at that time and things like that. How can we help clients, whether they're public sector or private? Even so even give an example of one of those, uh, a project that you worked on that. Sure. It's for LA Metro, sorry, um, LA County uh, Department of Public Works. Um, this as part of, you were a sub to HDR. They were aiming at that time looking into being net zero by 2030 and they needed to figure out exactly the how part because the board approved it um, and then their sustainability team 
wanted a consultant to develop at least a roadmap. What would it take um, to do this? And so it's mainly focused on the energy side. So first looking at, so the whole, what Public Works at that time was trying to do is that they have a lot of assets and space that they own and operate. So how can they leverage this space available to have on-site energy generation? And then if they have extra, if it's possible, potentially sell it to Clean Power Alliance or to the grid or something like that. That was the idea. First, to become net zero if they can, and if they have extra one, where potentially sell it and it could be a revenue source. So we looked at everything, different technology, we did a different site assessment, all the sites that they have, what they can, what's possible, canopy, ground mounted, rooftop. So in, in every possible on-site generation, including battery, potential ideas and technologies, and then a roadmap on how they would get there and how they would, they would prioritize. Also, we looked at policy drivers, what is the drive? Where is the money? Uh, what are the um, utility-led rebates or incentives that may be that uh, public works could tap into um, and things like that. So it include multiple workshops. We had different meetings with different groups within public works to understand where the need is um, and things like that. And then there were contracts at the same time parallelly going on on facility assessment. So between our finding and what their facility assessment report is, they will have a better idea of what to do by when and how to prioritize these projects to implement them. Oh, it sounds great. It sounds great. And then along the way, you you joined up with LA Metro. You were just talking about LA County, but you were joined up with LA Metro's Sustainability Council. And I always found that sort of an I didn't quite know what that council was up to. Um, our, our mutual friend, Chris Lebon, mm -hmm. heads it up. He's, he's, he's always been a little bit mysterious to me, uh, <laughs> Mr. Chris. But um, talk a little bit about that and, and why you wanted to do that and what that experience has been like. Because it's been several years, I think, right? Definitely. So I think it must have been in 2016 or 17. When it was started is when I joined. So it is... so. The Sustainability Council is an advisory group only. We don't make any decision, recommendation on projects. We're, we don't get involved in that, but Metro shares the different projects that they have, and then they get input from the Sustainability Council members for improvement or to improve, for, to review, to provide feedback. The Sustainability Council is made up of very different uh, groups from so I represent small business, especially in the green industry, green services. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are from nonprofit. You have county. You have the smaller cities. Anybody and everybody that metro directly or indirectly is involved in academia. So they bring different and even nonprofits, specialized nonprofits. For example, Plug in America that just focuses on electrification. Or, so you have different groups that bring different inputs depending on what Metro is currently working on. There are times where I personally won't have much input. Let's say it's green procurement and I wouldn't know much, but there would be some that are a part of the group that could provide input and then it could be more on planning or uh, transportation side. Probably some of us could provide input versus another. So it's very good. And then you keep up to date on what Metro is doing, what are things going on, collaboration, 
partnerships and things like that too. That's really great. I, you know, I'm, I'm big fan of Metro and then we've, we've been under contract or under subcontracting to TRC for, it's been over eight years now uh, as Metro's solar consultant. So we've been, we maintain a pretty significant role, but I, I'm glad that you, um, that you feel like it's been a good council and, and, and worthwhile and it certainly speaks well, certainly speaks well um, with Metro. And then for the past five years, I know there's changes in, in store, but for the, is it about five years with Costa Mesa or is it less than five? So it's two years. Two, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Two, for the past two years, I don't know what to say, for the past two years, you've been working with the city of Costa Mesa and you were the chief sustainability officer, is that right? So yes, the first energy and sustainability services manager for the city. So we don't call it chief sustainability, but it's the same, I'm the only person. Yeah. And talk talk about that. Um, you know, what, I don't know. Do you live in Costa Mesa? Is that how did you get? What was it like working there for you? Okay, so this was in two thousand and nineteen when I because I was doing Valley Sustainability at that time. But then how uh, politically things were changing a little bit. It was very difficult to win and do a lot of projects at that time. It was relatively harder. So that's when I started looking into maybe I should join local government. And locally, I live in Orange County. I'm in Aliso Viejo. So any, any cities, ideally. If not, everything is in LA and it would save me a commute to LA too. Um, so I saw the position in Costa Mesa, and that's when I applied. But in 2019, it's their council that made sustainability uh, one of their priorities, and they wanted to create this role, um, the first energy and sustainability services manager, and it's under public works, public services. Department. So you arrive at the job, and yes. there's never been this position before, no. and nobody reports to you, and you report to somebody. And how do you start? How do you put your arms around that? Or, or you, were you directed? Here's this, here's everything we want you to do today. Or how did you how did you have to navigate that? Definitely, I even remember my our director at that time say, "Salim, I don't know what task to give you because it was such a new um, thing that." We, we had to figure out so it was relative so what we did was initially a lot of like um first looking into what the city has done to date they might not call it sustainability but different things that they were doing to understand different departments we're leading so what are the things that we were working on so that we can start putting the picture together and then also multiple workshops to identify priorities what, like do is energy a priority? If it is energy, what kind of energy projects do we want to look into or initiatives under energy or transportation or water, open spaces, green business program, things like that, that the city or council have identified either I said a priority or they already were already working on it or there was a project in the past that was completed. So put all those things together and then obviously get buy-in, leadership buy-in to see if this is something we also want to focus on um, to move forward. So we created the, the priority areas for, for the city, created the sustainability website. We didn't even have anything, um, everything. And then few things that were in, um, that helped us at the beginning too, uh, we got, so lead for cities. Um, so we were, we submitted an application and we were one of the first ones to be the recipients of the USGBC's 
scholarships grant um, to get lead, lead for city certification. So it was really good because as we were going through the certification process, it was almost like a baseline assessment, trying to understand where we are, not just high level stuff, but with data and numbers because we needed it for so all. I'm not, I'm not familiar with lead for cities, but is the same rating system, silver, gold, platinum? And what did you get? What did it, what, what, what? We became lead gold. Very good, very Thank good. You. It's literally, we had nothing and we have to put it lead gold. We got to lead gold. But then the good thing is because it has different, like, for example, we have a whole category on water. So we were able to partner with Mesa Water. That's our uh, water district because they are highly regulated. They have all the data that we needed. We, we were able to tap more information because when it's lead for cities, it's a city citywide, not only the city operation only. No, it's the whole city. Oh, yeah. uh, so there were different other things that only by us, but other partner agencies that were being done. From SCE, we were able to get a lot of energy related credits that helped us and things like that. Um, and then it was also good for us because it really did show us where our weakness is, uh, where are the gaps, where are the opportunities and things that we can do. And that was lead gold. So that helped us make, build momentum around it then cce community choice energy was something we were considering at that time as a city so that took a lot of time too to look into it and things like that and with time we started doing more things too and tapping into grants and stuff because funding was another problem because it was in the middle of covid uh, we had a lot of ambitious goals then covid happened and made it difficult yeah wow wow well, they they were lucky. Now, I've got to ask you about this 2022 Heroes Award. <laughs> Did you really get the Heroes Award? Yes. Okay, that I mean, it sounds fantastic, and I, I I mean I would have given it to you for sure. But where did that? What is that? What was that for? And talk about. It. Sure. Do you know of Beams Global? They're EV Arc. Have you ever seen? They're it's a solar powered um charging station that truck the sun the whole day have you seen yeah, it i've seen it it's over a single car right yes yes i think i've seen them at yeah shows and stuff yeah okay so this company so this company and uh, we were able to get two of those units for the city oh i see um, one for the senior center yeah. and one for our courtyard um yeah. it was because we got a grant from um vw mitigation trust fund grant to replace one of our old bus with a new e-shuttle bus. So we also have a fully electric shuttle bus I was able to get for the city. But then we realized that we don't have charging stations. So we needed to figure out the solution ASAP. And that's when um, EVARC was uh, the solution that we needed at that time to help us an easily deployable and quick one. Um, so it was the award was from being global for our partnership and for being able to do it they're, they're the ones that made it happen yes made it happen isn't that great <laughs> that is really great so okay so now i don't know how you do this um you you obviously you came from a tough tough country you you worked your way up obviously you're living in a, your home in aliso viejo is far from your home in uh ethiopia um uh, you you must have tremendous. I've mentioned this. You must have tremendous motivation and discipline, but you must mm -hmm. also be balancing because you look really healthy. So, what are you doing to maintain balance in your life? How do you how do you keep this work life balance and, and uh, 
in check? Definitely. So one thing that's in my favor is that sustainability for me is not just a job, it's my calling. And I'm happy to say that I found it earlier. It's just, There's more to it for me in terms of sustainability. Yes, it's a lot of work and we have to do a lot of things, but I think it doesn't, that helps the fact that it is, I'm passionate about it. So yes, it's stressing, but at least it's a stress that I chose per, per se, meaning that I'm passionate about it. But so to balance definitely maybe yoga or um, nature, walk in nature, run, anything that I could do physical, that helps a lot. Uh, and then playing with my dogs, just completely forget about things and just play with dogs for an hour or something. That also is a good way for me to relax as well. And then traveling as much as I can. I'm very social. So whenever I can, whether it's friends or people that I worked with in the past or run into in another country or another company, or I'll try my best at least to see people too. And I also get the, my, the energy from them too. As an extrovert, I think we recharge around other people as well. So I try to balance that that way. Yeah, that sounds good. Do you get to see your parents periodically? Um, so every few years, whenever yeah. I can, yeah. That's a long, it's a long way. They must be very proud of you. Um, I'm proud of them too, because they what they did is what got me today. It's a lot of education and foundation that they provided yeah that made this possible as well so yeah and i know and the final thing i know you're i know you're leaving the city of costa mesa i'm sure it's their loss and i know you have something else up your sleeve as you said earlier <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna announce that but uh we'll look forward to uh, i will look forward to t talking to you about your next steps uh in a future in a future podcast so thank you so much for for being on the show and sharing your story Thank you for having me, and I'm sure we'll see each other soon, too, in person. It's great. Okay, take so, care. Um, Thank bye -bye. you. Bye. So that's it, folks. Thanks again for joining this episode of Flanagan's Net Positive Podcast. We'll see you next time.